It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. I'm here with Zerlina Maxwell, and we are really excited about the next conversation because we are bringing on a 16-year-old activist you may have read about in a giant New York Times profile. She was a part of the Markey verse, but I expect that that uh, activism is going to move uh, far beyond Massachusetts politics. It is Calla Walsh. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. It's great to be here. So this was such a fun piece to read because, uh, you know, Zerlina and I are, are what, geriatric millennials? That's what that's what we're being called now. We don't love it, but but that's that's where we are. Um, <laughs> and we have absolutely loved watching Gen Z. And I don't know. Are you even Gen Z? You might be younger than Gen Z. We don't. Do we have a name for you yet? Yeah, I mean, I know you mentioned the Markyverse, that's sort of the name we gave ourselves during the primary, but I think we've really expanded beyond to just become this, you know, broader progressive youth movement that's not just in Massachusetts, but, you know, across the whole country. So how did so this start? How did you decide that this was something? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that, like, how, how, did, how did this start? Because it's not every day you find out that there's an army of 16-year-olds engaging in po- political organizing. Um, I've met a lot of young 16-year-olds and 17-year-olds on campaigns, um, but an army of them all working in tandem, that's new. So how, how did it start? Yeah, so actually our original group formed because I and a couple of my friends in Massachusetts had just gotten off um, the Warren campaign, the Bernie presidential campaign, and really we'd lost hope for you know, winning a Green New Deal, winning Medicare for All um, with the presidential primary, but... Uh, The same issues were at stake in our own state in the Senate primary between Ed Markey and Joe Kennedy. And we decided to mobilize. You know, it was the very start of COVID. So originally we were super excited to go door knocking, but obviously that wasn't possible anymore. So we decided to focus all our efforts on digital organizing, which is how we really created this social media sphere that has become known as the Markeyverse. And uh, I think one of our biggest values uh, and I think what this article really framed is that Young people care about the issues. You know, we're not about idolizing certain politicians and we're not just blindly loyal to politicians because they're the right candidate in one race. We're really about the issues. And so even if a politician is on our, our side in one election, even after that election, we're going to continue holding them accountable and pushing them to take the right stances on um, all the issues we care about, whether it's um, climate or whether it's you know foreign policy like in Israel and Palestine, which is how we've been pressuring Senator Markey in the past few weeks. That's just amazing. So it doesn't end with the win. This is this is something that you clearly see as a, a part of your life forever, which is the thing that we basically need all Americans to do is to recognize that their their civic responsibility is something that that comes, uh, you know, it's an everyday sort of practice. Can I ask, like, so you, you started this after you got off of the Warren campaign. You are 16. So I'm assuming that you decided to volunteer for the Warren campaign when you were what? 15 like what what made you decide that this was a way you wanted to spend a significant portion of your time like how old were you when you were like yep politics is for me I'm getting in 
Yeah, so this was the summer after uh, my freshman year of high school, so I just turned 15. And uh, the first organizing I got involved with was through the climate movement, actually. So I was organizing for the youth climate strike with a lot of other people my age. But I quickly realized that, you know, to win the victories we need to win in order to save our planet in these next 10 years um, before climate change becomes irreversible. Yes, we need, you know, protests and we need movements to come to the street, but we also need electoral and legislative victories. And I was really drawn to the Warren campaign. So I started volunteering at the same time as I was organizing for the climate strike because I really believe that, you know, uh, activist movement and electoral movements need to go hand in hand. But um, I think what propelled me to take action was that I, for the past years, um, you know, growing up under the Trump administration, I had just felt like so helpless, like I was sitting back and there was nothing I could do. And I was just watching the world be torn apart in front of me and my future, um, you know, be wrecked in front of me. And I didn't want to sit back and feel hopeless anymore. And the best way to get rid of that feeling of helplessness was by actually taking action. Even if it was something as small as going to a protest or attending a phone bank, it really made me feel like I was doing something. And um, quickly, I fell in love with the work that I was actually doing and wanted to make it, you know, a huge part of my life, even more important than school. I mean, field organizing is the best thing. It really is the thing that makes you feel like you're participating in in democracy. And when you first started, um, you know, post post democratic primary, and you know, we're in this pandemic, and obviously, everything about campaigning changed. I mean, as somebody who's sixteen, um, you know, you're you're a digital native. I mean. It, even more so than somebody who's 26, right? Um, and so you utilize that knowledge um, to impact the campaign. So what, what were the strategies you implemented? Because it was the online messaging that got the attention um, of, you know, the, oppo- the opposing candidate. Um, you know, Marky uh, thanked you and name-checked you. Uh, when when he won his race in, in the primary. Um, and so it seems to me that there was something you were doing online that was making an impact. What were you doing? Yeah, well, you're totally right that, you know, everything shifted digitally. And I think for the first time, adults looked at our generation and were like, hey, we need you. We have no idea how to navigate this mm-hmm. you know, new digital landscape. So <laughs> we employed a lot of cool strategies that were really unique in reaching people. But I think the biggest idea behind all these strategies is that we wanted to um, turn, you know, social media interaction and engagement beyond just likes and follows. Like we actually wanted to get support for the campaign out of it. So if we had a viral tweet, you know, every single person that engaged with that or replied to it, we would try to DM them or reply to them and get them to sign up for phone bank shifts or to make a donation to the campaign. I think politicians often look at social media as just this platform where they like put content out into the void with no real meaning behind it. But we really wanted to go beyond just saying words out there. Like we wanted to transfer those words and catalyze them into action. And we were able to shift hundreds of people on social media, raise hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, a great example is after a Nancy Pelosi endorsement came out for Joe Kennedy in late August, we raised three times as much as the Kennedy campaign um, off of that endorsement, largely from social media. And uh, we also were able to ID a lot of voters, especially first-time voters who may not be on um, our call list or may not be in the voter file because they had just so recently registered. So we were able to also identify thousands of voters um, for the campaign through social media and relational organizing um, other young people. 
That's the margin. Those have are the margins. Have you been hired yet for 2022? Yeah. <laughs> like, are, do you have campaigns who are asking to, whether they can pay you for your services at this point? Uh, I've honestly shifted more towards like issue-based work. So I don't know if I'll be on a campaign in 2022. Um, I am really excited <laughs> about um, recruiting local candidates to run, especially young people. Um, right now in Massachusetts, our state legislature is very old, very white, very male. And um, mm -hmm. a lot of them have just been sitting in their seats for so, so long without any um, primary challengers. So um, something I'm doing right now is, you know, like encouraging friends and other advocates to run for these seats since I think they're totally winnable. But um, I mean, I think that most of these resources should be free and should be given to all campaigns and should be really accessible to candidates who may not have, you know, the financial or institutional support. So I've been trying to share as much um, of my resources as I can, whether it's like recordings of trainings I've done or presentations. Um, but I would just say that a lot of candidates have come up to people from the Murkyverse like me and asked for help. And we just looked at them and said, you're a moderate. Like, you don't even support the policies that Gen Z needs to build a livable future. None of these, none of these strategies are going to work if you don't actually have the policy platform that aligns with our values. Right. It's a, and it's, it's so that funny how they really come to you with that. that I don't think because, a lot of people get. Right. Yep. I mean, often establishment types, they're like, well, just do the thing you do on the Twitter for me. And they don't understand that that's not how it works. Can you it make works. it go and viral? Actually, can, can you right, make it go I mean, viral, though? I remember, I mean, in 2016, I did a lot of work digitally um, with influencers uh, and and just trying to engage on Twitter in a similar way. I mean, not, it wasn't quite as organized in, in the sense that, like, everybody that liked a tweet I was DMing, that is, um, I hope somebody was doing that in 2016. <laughs> but hopefully in the future, no one, you know, avoids <laughs> doing that. Um, but part of it is... The credibility piece, like in order to be influential online, you have to have an audience that trusts you. And I think that to your point about a moderate candidate, you know, just trying to implement some of the digital, digital strategies without the, the correct message and policy platform, that's never going to work anyway, because it's not it's it's not um, it's not something that's going to resonate with people um, because it's going to seem inauthentic. Um, to have, you know, a bunch of 16-year-olds trying to do a, a digital campaign for policies that they don't really believe in. I mean, do you feel like exactly. you can you can be very selective um, to your point about which what campaigns and candidates you align with um, and they have to align with your values first? That's the first question. Exactly. What is... What's the like, what's your relationship with your friends around this? Like when I think about being in high school and the conversations that I had with my friends, I actually went through this weird phase when I was like in my 20s and, you know, firmly entrenched in campaign world. And, based, you know, my entire personality basically was being a progressive. And I was wondering how how early that started. And I didn't remember having like specifically political conversations in high school. And I started asking you know, my high school friends that I'm still close with, like, did we talk about that? Like, did we did we talk about Clinton past the Monica Lewinsky scandal? Like, did we did we talk about it? Like, what do you remember this at all? And and we remember being liberal. We remembered like protesting outside the, the Harvey Milk School when the Westboro Baptist Church came to town. Like we, we remembered like doing, you know, we, we did a school walkout for gun safety, which was before the very first school shooting even. But we, we couldn't remember engaging in electoral politics at all or having conversations about that even. So my question is about your friend group. Like, 
when you guys are hanging out after school, is this what you're talking about? Like, is this is this a big part of your conversations with your peers? Is it about local elections? Yeah, well, I will definitely say I have, you know, a separate like school friend group rather than my friend group um, that's political. I think because I'm one of the youngest okay. um, people in this space, you know, I'm often the youngest person in the room. And so are a lot of my friends who are on different campaigns who are, you know, young people doing similar advocacy as me. We form really strong relationships just because, like, we're the only young people and we only have each other. And so um, this is, like, a huge part of our lives. We talk about, you know, personal stuff, but also political stuff all the time. And um, I'm lucky to have that friend group and, you know, friends across the country who can relate to that sort of feeling of, like, being the youngest person in a lot of these spaces. As for my, um, like, personal friend group and um, school friends, definitely it's not as present in our conversations. But I do think, um, just for my generation in general, having grown up under um, the Trump administration, you know, as the, at the same time as we're learning about American history and learning about these, um, you know, government and electoral systems, I think it's felt very present. And like, it's not something that we can just blissfully ignore, but something that we really do have to talk about because it's so present. And same with um, having it, um, you know, be so present on social media. I think that's also pushed it into the conversation because information is so much more accessible and people are so much more likely to take stances, whether it's just by reposting something or putting their own opinion out there that has made it um, made these conversations a lot more accessible. And um, I think that, yeah, I definitely talk about local politics and issues with my friends because um, we don't think those conversations should just be limited to adults because often we are more impacted by these issues than adults. And they're just in, rooms behind closed doors making these decisions that directly impact our lives and we have no say in them. So that's why I think it's really important for these conversations to include young people and often to be led by young people. What are the... Do you feel like you're learning? Oh, like you, you, you mentioned learning, like being taught how this stuff works in school. Do, do you feel like you're, do you feel like the better education is coming from school or coming from your organizing work? Like, are you getting good information in your high school classes about how government works and what your role is in it like are you being taught accurate american history like do you do you feel like you're getting a really good solid rounded education from school that informs this work or do you feel like this work is you know sort of rounding out that education that you don't get in school I think I've learned way, way more from organizing and um, actually being on the ground. I think that um, there's no way to learn more than from actually talking to voters themselves, which is obviously not something you do in school. And really like being in the field and talking to people about the issues they're impacted by and the decisions they're making in elections, that is like the most informative and educational thing I've ever done is actually just talking to people directly. Um, I wouldn't want to trash my school at all, but I don't think any American high school teaches American history accurately. And um, I will also say that certainly my school has taught me about like, oh, like the three branches of federal government, balances uh, of power um, and all that sort of stuff. But I think there's a huge, huge lack of information about local government and local elections um, at like the city and state levels. And that is just a huge failure on behalf of the entire American education system. And so I've really tried to do some political education, make resources um, of my own that I can share with my peers because this information is so inaccessible and we're just not taught about it in school. And that's why young people don't engage with local elections. And often we don't know who our local elected officials are just because that information isn't given to us or um, 
we're not told that it's important in school. Um, so, I mean, I think that there should be way more curriculum about, you know, how local government works, um, how we're impacted by it. But um, I think organizing is such a great way to learn. And the best way to learn about any issue is to talk to, but talk to the people who are impacted by it, which is why I love field because um, you're so in touch with how, how people are actually experiencing these issues and how they're making their decisions on the ground. One of the things that's happening right now is, in a, as a reaction to, I think, um, you know, the 1619 Project and the fact that we've been talking openly for the last year uh, about race and America's history of racism in a way that I don't think we really had before. I think um, it's really interesting to me that a lot of folks were on lockdown with their families um, intergenerationally. So like high school students and college students, people, you know, young people in your age group, they were back at home. Um, You know, they were back at home during um, last summer's protests and when George Floyd was killed and um, the series of folks that were killed, um, you know, in quick succession last summer. And right now, you know, one of the arguments you know, conservatives are making against teaching critical race theory um, to kids like you is that it will make white children and white students feel bad and and about um, America's history. I mean, as a young person, what's your reaction to the fact that adults are like, we can't teach you America's history of racism because it will make you feel bad? I think that's ridiculous. I think that if black children are old enough to be terrorized and murdered by the police that white children are absolutely young and or old enough to learn about these issues and learn how we're complicit our entire communities are complicit in these um in these murders of black people and um i mean i definitely push back against the idea that oh it'll make white people feel bad we should feel bad we are all complicit in the system and acknowledging that guilt and that role we play is the only way that we'll be able to dismantle it And it doesn't have to come from, like, a place of negativity. It can come from a place of, you know, um, loving each other and um, community building and actually, like, working towards our collective liberation and um, dismantling these systems together hand in hand. So I would definitely push back against that um, ridiculous conservative narrative. I actually haven't heard that put that well by a white activist often. So thank you for doing that. I guess my my question is about virtual world versus IRL world and how we're sort of moving between those two spaces right now. You were doing a lot of this uh, like online while you were in virtual school, I'm assuming. What what changes now that things are starting to open up? Are are you going to be able to to actually knock on doors and and do that work? But how, you know, how how does how does it how does it change as as the world changes? Yeah, so I did just end up going back to in-person school, but most of my political activities have uh, stayed remote. And honestly, I hope that that like remote accessibility stays an option even past COVID, just because I think a lot of young people were able to find a silver lining during the pandemic and that political activities were so much more accessible because um, in a not COVID world, often they're during the school day or they're like super far away and you need a car to get there um, or they're like, on a school night and it's just hard to balance with all your homework. So I think that it's really important for these digital options 
turning accessible, not only for young people, but, you know, for working people, uh, low-income people, like anyone who um, has been able to participate more because um, these activities are more accessible. Um, but definitely it's been so good to start seeing people in person again and, like, having that human connection and um, meeting people who I've, you know, organized with for, like, a year on Zoom, actually getting to meet them in person. That's been really amazing, and I'm definitely excited to start door knocking because um, I think that it's door knocking is like really important to boosting voter turnout because not everyone can be reached um, via phone or via email or via text. There's certainly a digital divide. So it's important to have both the digital and in-person aspect. I love door knocking. Yeah. It, I miss it actually. I mean, sometimes <laughs> I, you know, in, in 2008, that was what I did for Obama here in Virginia. And I, I still think it's the most valuable, um, work that I've ever done on a political campaign. I mean, we were Jess and I worked um for Hillary Clinton in yep. headquarters in Brooklyn. And so, let me tell you, typing away in your laptop in a headquarters in Brooklyn does not feel quite as um impactful as knocking on doors and talking to real people and, you know, persuading somebody on an issue um to support and see your side in real time is like it's like a superpower. Um the other the other question I had for you is, you know, as we sort of transition, I guess we're still in sort of the transition out of the Trump era and into the, the era of President Biden and Vice President Harris. Um, I feel like, you know, a lot of people sort of were like, whew, we did it. <laughs> we did it, Joe, you know, to quote Kamala Harris. <laughs> um, and and, you know, you seem to have not done that. You didn't you didn't hit. There was no pause button. There was no like break. There was no, okay, we're going to sit down now and celebrate the fact that, you know, at least we don't have a president telling us to inject bleach. Um, for for folks out there, or what's your message for folks out there who are like, man, I'm tired. <laughs> we just did all of that um, <laughs> in the 2020 election. And you're already starting to talk about the next election. I mean, how do you stay engaged all the time? Do you take self-care breaks? And what's your message for people who are like, I'm tired. This is this is hard. I mean, how how can they try to balance it so that they can continue to stay engaged like you? Yeah, I think organizing should always be energizing. It shouldn't be exhausting. And if you're constantly exhausted, you're probably doing something wrong. Like you don't want to be getting burnt out all the time. Organizing, I think, should really be about um, like energizing each other and supporting each other and taking care of each other. So what I've done is actively seek out, you know, organizing spaces and communities where I feel like I have that support system, where I feel like people um, take care of each other and check in about each other, about their capacity and um, how much work they have on their plate and um, really make sure that we're not burning each other out, that we're uplifting each other and taking care of each other. And so I think that um, campaigns especially can often be a space where people just get super burnt out and like never want to do a campaign again after election day. So I think it's really important to um, to like have that self-care component and um, also, you know, always be checking in on the people you're organizing with. I also think that a lot of it has to do with campaign labor practices and um, how, much, <laughs> um, how much staff are paid, how many hours they're expected to work. Um, there are a lot of expectations for campaign staff that are just like um, inhumane and like. I have never heard anyone say this. And you are 100% I've never heard correct. anyone say campaign labor practices. Before. I'm like. I oh my god, 
I didn't even know I could advocate. I mean, we're we're like progressives out here, like workers should have rights, and then we're on a campaign like working twenty four seven with absolutely no breaks um, or days it's off. Perfectly acceptable to you know have an ulcer when you're twenty four. That's totally normal. That's us. We're doing oh different God, from other people. Get. God damn. Amazing. Uh, Kella, are you ever going to run for office? Is this something you're thinking about? I don't think so. I like to stay behind the scenes, and I also like to give my unfiltered commentary on every race that is going on, so I don't <laughs> think I'd be able to say as many controversial things were I a candidate. Um, but yeah, I guess my last message would be everyone should unionize their campaign workplace. Um, the Markey campaign did that. The Warren campaign did that. The Bernie campaign did that. And that's, I think, like the best way to win better rights and working conditions on campaigns. Wow. That's incredible. Honestly, this is the first time that I've ever sort of hoped that somebody was going to say no when I asked them whether they intended to run. Uh, Kala Walsh, thank you for joining us this morning and also doing all of the things that you do every day. Um, We very much need you and you seem really aware of that. (laughs) So thanks. Thank you on behalf of all of us. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for having me on. It was great to chat. Yes. Stay safe. Anytime. We'll be back tomorrow with another Signal Boost podcast. Thanks for listening.